Tonight I start a preaching series, um, just uh, three lessons in this series, entitled, And These Things Remain, Faith, Hope, and Love, from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So I'll be preaching that tonight, next Sunday night, and then the following Sunday, where I'm scheduled to preach in the morning, I'll finish up the third lesson in that uh, series. So let's start by reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a short verse. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. So in these remain the title of the series, Faith, Hope, Love. And tonight the lesson is going to be what is biblical, uh, what is biblical faith? So Paul lays out for us the basic things that we need to pursue as Christians. Faith, hope, love. Those are the big things. And in the next lessons, as I said, I'm going to explain more fully what the Bible teaches, hopefully, about faith, about hope, about love, so we can learn to abide in these as well. And the first one, faith, tonight, The first one, faith, is is both a large and a small subject. Large in the sense that so much has been and can be said about faith. And yet small enough because each of us have uh, had our own individual and very intimate sense of what faith is for us. So it's both very personal and yet very, very, very large. Faith is uh, like the sun vast and beyond human grasping, but still personal as each senses its heat on one's face on a hot August afternoon. I still get a sense of it nevertheless. So in this lesson tonight I'm going to try to answer the question so that we can not only understand what the Bible teaches about faith, but also in a way that we can all relate to the experience that faith brings to each of us. So let's start with what faith, uh, what faith is not. You know, I suppose a, a good way to begin the subject is to look at the misconceptions about faith. In other words, what, is, what faith is not. What the Bible doesn't say about faith. Throughout the Bible a lot of people claim to be religious and holy and men of faith but they didn't actually know the first thing about faith. These people and these attitudes live on today as examples of what faith is not. For example, faith is not religious heritage. You know, the Pharisees were indignant with Jesus when he accused them of being sinful. They were indignant. How dare you? They answered that they were sons of Abraham. That was their answer. We're sons of Abraham. You know who you're talking to here. And this religious and cultural heritage was all they needed to be justified before God. They didn't need repentance. They didn't need to obey. They didn't need to expand their faith. We're sons of Abraham. We're Jews. You know, we take on the same attitude when we rest our confidence in our religious heritage rather than in faith. Because some people think that being part of a religious group for a long time, that's good enough. I've met people who say, well, my my father was an elder, my great-grandfather was a preacher, and I'm thinking, yeah, so what? That's good for them. 
but that doesn't count for you. Identification or association with, quote, the church of Christ for several generations, that's not the same thing as faith. Faith is not indoctrination. The Jews knew the law, they knew the rules, they knew the traditions, the arguments, but Paul says that they did not achieve righteousness. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Romans 9.32. Memorizing scripture is good. It builds up the spirit, but it isn't the same thing as faith. Knowing and arguing about different points of doctrine successfully, that's not faith. Indoctrination is a means to acquire faith, but the practice and the expertise in knowing the theory of our religion is not in itself faith. Your child gets hit by a car and dies instantly. At that moment, knowing all the rules about the Levitical priesthood and what it means is not helping you at that moment. Faith is not comfort. Some people confuse familiarity with faith. You know, the number two stumbling block in bringing people to Christ is their comfort with their existing religion. First, the number one is sin, the love of sin, John 3.19. They didn't want to come to him. Why? Because they love the darkness more. A lot of people, they understand, they get Christianity, they understand the idea, they know what they have to do, but they refuse to do it. Why? Well, they like their sin better than they like being a Christian. Feeling at home with a certain set of ideas or rituals or traditions or a building even, or comfort with a certain group of religious people, that's not the same thing as faith. That's emotion, that's familiarity, but it's not faith. I've studied with a lot of people that the stumbling block for them to receive Christ, to be repent and be baptized, wasn't so much that they didn't believe, they couldn't tear themselves away because their whole family went to a particular a, a, a Christian group that they were comfortable with. The Jews drew great comfort in their traditions and through these excesses or, or through the excesses of the Pharisees they turned their comfortable traditions into in, inflexible laws that eventually overshadowed the reason for the traditions. And that was the honoring of God Himself. Faith is not self-righteousness. Again, the Jews understood that God was real and that there was a link or a window between God and man. With time, they came to believe that their own self-righteousness was their link with the Lord, their window to the invisible God. Again, Paul explains their mistake, as I said in Romans 9, 30 to 32. They substituted self-righteousness, works, religious doing. They substituted that for faith. 
We fall into the same subtle trap when we assume that we can substitute a level of morality or a general niceness about ourselves into faith. I've heard a lot of people, you know, they, they, at a sad time, you know, someone passes away or something and, and they say, but they were such nice people. It's like, you know, it's almost like an unspoken prayer. He was such a nice guy. I don't see the word. Actually, I don't even know if the word nice is in the Bible. She was such a, she was such a kind person. Well, yeah, that's good. But you can't substitute kind for faith. You can't substitute nice for I remember doing a funeral for a person and the person, you know, there was only one person who was going to give a testimonial for the, the, the deceased and they only had two things to say about the deceased. He was a good mechanic and he loved his dog. You, know, you can't substitute that for faith. Some people think that a well-kept lawn or a successful marriage or a meaningful career or healthy children are the same thing or as good as faith. It's not that we deny faith. We merely transform faith into a nice lifestyle, you know, the American dream. And for us, living the good life somehow is equal to faith. And it's not. So let's talk about what faith is. You, know, you can go on and on about what it's not, but what is it? Let's look at some concrete things that the Bible identifies as faith. In explaining these things, you need to understand that faith is a composite of several different factors. Faith is like a puzzle that you put together one piece at a time as the entire picture emerges from the scriptures. So faith is comprised of, first of all, specific knowledge. Romans 10, 17, Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So when the Bible talks about faith, it does so in both objective and subjective terms. When the Bible refers to the faith, the faith, It is talking about that body of specific religious information formulated and given by Jesus and later disseminated by his apostles and recorded as the New Testament in the same way the Old Testament as the prophets and writers Moses and others wrote and compiled the Old Testament portion of the Bible. When Paul says there is one faith in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 He's talking about information. When Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints, Jude 3, what's he saying? He's talking about the knowledge and the information concerning Christ and the church and salvation, so on and so forth. All that information that was given by God to the apostles once and for all. There is no more. It's a body of information. The good thing about Jude 3 is it tells us that there is a body of information. There's a a certain set of information and it has already been delivered to the apostles and he goes out of his way to say once for all there isn't any more. 
So if you happen to be reading on Buzzfeed or online somewhere that they found another Bible book or another hidden thing there, go back to Jude 3 and read over again what he has told us. When Paul says there is one faith, he means one body of doctrine. In other instances the Bible talks about faith as a subjective experience, something that one possesses, something that produces or causes results. We talk, we'll talk about that in a moment, but an example of this is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 22 and 3. He says, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Here he's talking about faith in both ways, subjective and uh, objective. Before the scripture has shut up to everyone under sin so that the promise by faith, what is that? The promise by faith, the promise we receive by believing, by faith, that promise in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, that faith, you know, the system of faith to salvation, before that faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to what? To the faith. Oh, that body of teaching, that body of information, which was later to be revealed. So you can't have faith until you have the faith. First you get the faith, the information, the body of teaching, and from that grows faith. And I'll talk about the nature of that in a moment. So before it becomes anything or does anything, faith is first specific knowledge and information given to us by Christ contained in the Bible. Secondly, faith is an act of the will. Information and knowledge all by itself is not faith. It must be acted upon in order to become faith. Our will must respond in two ways for faith to emerge from the words of Christ. First, we must accept the information as being true. This is what believing is. Somebody said, give me a definition of believing. You know, you know, how would you define believing? Well, believing means you accept that something that has been proposed to you is true, is accurate. You know, my wife's name is Lise. And because you know her and you, you, know, you will say, I believe that. I believe that information that you just given me is true. Therefore, there you have faith in what I have just said. Hebrews eleven six: he who comes to God must believe that he is. Believe, must accept that there is a God, must accept as true. Our will must decide that what we have heard from Christ is true. That's believing. And then we must act upon. In other words, we must respond to the information given to us. Faith is born when we believe as true and respond to the words of Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 38, 
Luke tells the story of Philip, Philip the evangelist, and the eunuch. And so Luke writes, Philip ran up and heard him, meaning the eunuch, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? So Philip provides him with specific information relating to Christ. There's the link, there's the window that clarifies the knowledge that he's just gained. He's read this, there's information here, there's knowledge here, but he doesn't quite understand it. He needs someone to explain it to him. So in verse 35 it says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So Philip provides him with the specific information relating to Christ that clarifies the knowledge that he is getting from this passage. But all the eunuch has is specific information, that's all. He must accept it as true, that's his confession of faith, and then act or respond to it, that's his baptism, in order for the information to become faith. We read, he said, as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So, All the eunuch had was information. He had to respond to that information in order for faith to be produced. Another example in Acts chapter 2 verse 37 and 8, familiar passages here, it says, now when they, meaning the crowd that Peter was preaching to, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 8, Peter has preached the specific information, the faith. He is transferring the faith, the information regarding Christ. The people now have the faith. They've received it. They have a window open to heaven. And so they ask Peter what they must do. In other words, an acknowledgement that they actually accept as true what he has said. And, and, and then he gives them what their response of faith should be. And that is to repent and be baptized. Notice they didn't didn't say to Peter, what does this mean? They didn't say to Peter, why do we have to do that? They didn't say to him, well, the other people aren't doing this. Isn't it just good enough that we repent? 
They asked him, okay, you've given us this information, so what do we do now? And he answers and gives them the answer, and they respond in kind. We keep reading there, and it said that 3,000 people were baptized on that particular day. So Peter responds that they should repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the reception of the Holy Spirit. Now, the confusion in the evangelical world stems from their idea that man is not able to make a proper act of will. Can't make that choice. According to most evangelical doctrine and some Catholic doctrine as well, for this reason God will save him without an act of will. He merely chooses different ones for salvation and they accept his choice by simply understanding and repeating certain words, I accept Jesus as my personal savior, or the parents substitute their faith for their baby's faith and they have the baby baptized. Of course, repeating these words or coming forward to an altar call or raising their hand, this is an act of the will. It's just not an act of the will that God demands in the Bible. That's the problem. We need to realize that God has provided in the specific information, you know, in the faith part, He has provided in Christ's words how one was to express their act of will in order to generate faith. And in this case, it was through repentance and baptism. So faith, therefore, long explanation, but faith, therefore, is produced when we exercise our will not any old way, but when we exercise our will through belief and obedience in accordance with the words of Christ. I mean, the clearest example, you know, Mark 16, 16, uh, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Well, there's those who believe. Well, that's accept as true. I've heard the information and I believe it. I accept as true. So Jesus says those who believe and are baptized. That's the response. That's the response of faith. The decision of faith, I believe. The response of faith, I am baptized. Together, these equal faith. And that's how individuals are saved by faith. All right, another thing that faith is. So faith is comprised of specific knowledge, the faith. An act of the will, response, right? The response of belief. And then thirdly, faith is a feeling. And you know what? I know that we don't like this idea because we'd like to keep our religion bottled up in our heads and not let it go down to our hearts. We're guilty of that many times. But faith does produce feelings about what we have decided and what we have done regarding the knowledge that has been given to us you know, about Jesus Christ. For example, we feel assurance. I like the song you pick, you know, blessed assurance. Assurance is a feeling, isn't it? Isn't it assurance a feeling? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith isn't just a head thing, it's a heart thing. The author says that faith produces a feeling of security, of assuredness about these things. Now we don't see them, but we feel secure that we will receive what has been promised to us. I have acted upon the words of Christ and the result in my life is that I feel confident. 
I mean, confidence is a feeling, is it not? About the future, about the unseen promises of God. So faith, faith is part feeling. And one of the feelings is assurance. Another thing we feel, determination. Paul says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I received the information and that information promised me something. And I've responded to that information. And now I'm looking forward to that promise and I'm, I'm reaching forward to that to that promise. I am determined in opposition to the evidence to the contrary. You know, there's sin and there's death and there's sorrow and there's disbelief in this world. And despite all of this, I am determined to press on to the eternal life that I've been promised. The reasons to persevere may be kept in one's mind, but the experience of persevering is felt through determination. I mean, don't you feel it in your guts when you have to say no to something you know, that, that, is, that is tempting and alluring, but you know that you know, that'll stop you from following Christ? Don't you feel that inside of you? Denying your flesh? Of course it's a feeling. Faith creates a determination in me that moves me to persevere, to press on despite the opposition, despite the difficulty. With faith we also feel joy. Paul again says, convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. I don't think I could have found a scripture that links the two things closer than that. Your joy in the faith. Again, from beginning to end, the revelation of the word, the good news, the gospel has created faith and that faith has produced joy. And joy, I say it again, is joy not a feeling? In Luke 2.10, the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a great joy. In Philippians 1.25, Paul promises to continue teaching them so they may grow and continue to do what here? To experience joy in the faith. Imagine, not, not joy in the believing part. He's not saying you're going to be joyful because you decided this was true. He says you're going to have continual joy in the faith. The knowledge, the information about Christianity continues to produce uh, joy in us. The more I know God's word, the more joyful I become. So faith begins as information processed by our will into belief and action and then experienced as confidence, perseverance and joy. What else makes someone continue forward despite their suffering, despite their disappointments, despite the fact that life has not been fair to them in some way or another, and yet they continue. 
and they continue to have joy in their hearts. Who produces that? Certainly not the world. So now you'll note that I haven't talked about what faith motivates me to do, how long we must be faithful, how to renew our faith or share it with others. Mike talked about that this morning. These are topics for other times and other lessons. What I have tried to do is to eliminate some false ideas about faith. For example, it's not my father's religion or traditions. My father's faith can be true, but it isn't mine. You know, the younger people have to develop their own faith. And parents have to, you know, parents have to be patient and allow them to work out their own faith. And it's not just doctrine, just information. And it's not just religious habit although religious habit is important, but it's not just that. And it's not just personal goodness. Faith has these things, but it isn't these things. In the place of these, we've learned that biblical faith, Christian faith, begins with the words and the teachings of Jesus. Biblical faith comes to life when an individual believes these words as being true, and responds to them, not in any old way, but responds to them as Christ has given them. And then is continually experienced because it produces confidence and perseverance and a joyful heart. And as we will learn in our next lessons, it also produces hope. And love. Paul says love's the greatest, but you've got to have faith in order to get to love. You can't go around faith and get, and get, to, get to love. So I pray that if you, your notion of faith was incorrect in some way, you will discard that tonight and respond to the faith given to us by Jesus in the Bible. That you will believe as true what God says, not just about salvation, but you'll believe as true everything. We tend to emphasize believe as true. You know, uh, if, if, you know, you, you'll be lost if you disbelieve and, and if you're not baptized, you'll be lost. Well, that's true too. But also the things he says about, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And stop worrying about tomorrow. I will provide for you every single day. I, you need to believe that is true as well. Because it's from these things that we find encouragement and strength. And also that you will continue in this belief in order to experience the assurance and the strength and the joy that only comes with true biblical faith. And so if you need to make some adjustments to your faith, if you need to respond in faith because you may not have correctly responded in faith, if you need to respond in faith because you've never responded in faith. Whatever your need is concerning faith or any other matters, we encourage you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing the song of encouragement.